You're listening to the Yoga Inspiration Podcast with me, your host, Kino McGregor. I created this series to keep you inspired to get on the mat every day so that you can practice yoga and change your world, starting from the inside out, one breath at a time. Thanks so much for listening. Your support means everything to me. Our sitting practice is getting a little bit longer. And the intention of doing these weekly sits is to, to give yourself the support of the feeling of sangha, the feeling of community. And it's very difficult to sit for an extended period of time alone when it's just you on a little cushion in a room. So when we come together like this, there's a feeling of community and energy that you tap into and we support one another. And we really do. It's this feeling that kind of transcends time and space. You know, it almost feels like we are with one another through the non-local quality of consciousness. And this strengthens your meditation. This strengthens your ability to stay in one position. This makes the time pass so much faster than it would on your own. If we think about the one of the banes of modern existence, it's boredom. You know, we get quickly bored. We're bored. It's boring. My husband in particular, he gets bored very quickly. I really enjoy going to the beach and doing nothing. However, when I go to the beach with him, within a matter of less than five minutes, he looks at me and says, boring. As though there's supposed to be some entertainment provided by the beach. The purpose of going to the beach is to do nothing. So we have this immediate do something. This is like a, a kick that comes from within. I must do something. What must you do? You have to do nothing. The practice of meditation helps you release into a sense of nothingness. We're always interested in something, something to do, some place to go, something to say, something to eat, something to wear, something to say, something to do. We're obsessed with some things. When we practice meditation, we move away from this addiction to the materiality of the world and into a state of what you could call nothingness, no thingness. In the space between thoughts, in the space between, there's a sense of wholeness, which is available, a sense of being, which is available, which is what is sometimes referred to as the isness of the moment. This is a hard concept to understand. So what is the isness? It's not really a real word, right? The is, when you say what is, then you add ness to it. So the quality of being is what we're talking about in the isness of this moment. And if you can allow yourself to really experience what is without judgment, without a need to fill it up with a bunch of other stuff, without a need to escape it in one way or another, there's a deep experience of peace. And another way I like to think about this is there's always a reason why we're looking for something to fill up what we experience as nothing. Because when we're looking for something to fill up, our experience of emptiness or our experience of nothingness, it's often because there's pain of some type or another that we don't want to experience. Without our busyness, who are we? You know, without our 10,000 things to do, without our comments to reply to on social media, without the next message that's coming in and our friend to text in the next moment and the person over there that we can go and talk to, who are we? What's well, just us and our thoughts. 
And oftentimes when we want to escape that, it's because there's pain one type or another. There are some undealt with thoughts, some unprocessed emotions, some things which are heavy and really rests kind of heavily in the heart. So we escape. One of the ways we escape is we do something and you know, we do things. We immediately, let's watch something new. You know, we, we scour Netflix to see, is there anything new? Is there anything new? And you watch the entire Netflix category, you know, catalog. And then suddenly you find yourself watching some TV series in a foreign language. You know, I really feel that sometimes we really get to the end of the, our own language and suddenly we're like, okay, let's see what the Turkish filmmakers are making now. You know, if you have not reached the end of your own language catalog, you're never going to start wondering what they're doing in another country. But as soon as you've reached the end of your own ability to entertain yourself with your own language, then suddenly, oh, let me watch Turkish film. Oh, let me watch Korean film. Oh, let me see what other languages out there where they're making movies. We just watch everything that's out there. Because we don't want to experience our nothingness. We don't want to experience the emptiness. What's there when we're not entertaining ourselves? Think about this. Think about the last time you were waiting in line or the last time you were waiting for something. What did you do? Did you just sit there with the experience of what is in that moment? Or did you do what many of us, including myself, have a pattern of doing? What was that? Pick up your phone. You know, oh, even if the traffic light is too long, you know, the traffic light, you're in the traffic, you need to be aware that could at any moment be, you know, somebody crazy person that wants to throw themselves in front of your car. I live in Miami. This happens a lot here. You know, suddenly there's somebody that are walking in front of your car. You need to be very aware. So suddenly the light is too long and your hand is just trained. Maybe there's a text message that's come in. Maybe I should just, I don't know, read the news randomly at the stoplight and see if there are any new crazy things I need to be aware of. This Tendency is nothing more than a habit pattern of the mind to escape something that is nothing, which means to escape the isness of the moment. And so many people are afraid of this boredom, this kind of this recognition of dropping down underneath the frequency of our thoughts. There, in terms of brain scans and studies, when we understand what the frequency of our thoughts is actually doing, here's what you can kind of understand is that the mind has a resting state called the default neural mode. And when the mind's resting state is left untrained, what happens is that we move and, and, and ping pong between two very particular repetitive thoughts. Number one, we ruminate on the past. All right. Sometimes there's nothing to write about in the news. So even the news cycle is just rehashing the past. They just go in and they keep talking about some traumatic thing that's happened. One week later, we're, we're interviewing people who are re retelling that story over to like, oh, it's, there's nothing new has happened. So even the news cycle is showing. Now we're ruminating on the past. Some years go by. Then we make a documentary so that we, on that thing from 10 years ago so we can relive it in the moment. And it's like, wow, wow, that was awesome. You know, what are we doing? We're ruminating on the past. We're living on the past. Not to say we shouldn't study history. Definitely wonderful lessons are there from reflecting, but there's a rumination quality where we can't let go of it. And I think this is particularly evident if you see these repetitive news cycles where nothing new has happened, but they're just continually same headlines, same headlines, same story from this angle, from that angle, from the, can't let go of it because there's nothing new. Then second thing, and I think you can also, if you experience is also like a news cycle, second thing, the mind goes to projecting into the future. 
What's going to happen? What's going to happen? We worry about this. We worry about that. We worry about this. We have our private worries. But if we look at something kind of like collective worries, if we look at the news cycles and we can see ruminating on the past, talking about how this happened and it was terrible, projecting into the future, all of this may happen in the future and it's going to be terrible. You know, we're never really projecting into the future of how wonderful it's going to be. We're often projecting into the future. This is going to happen. It's going to be terrible. You know, again, I live here in, in uh, Miami and once a year we spend like six months getting uh, we are projecting into the future of some small tropical wave that has just left the coast of Africa with people pointing at it saying in about four weeks, this could be serious, you know, and it's like a hurricane warning that, you know, we're projecting into the future. So we have four weeks to be anxious, you know, and then the thing moves and sometimes they're terrible and you have to take appropriate action. So the reason I bring that up is what we're avoiding what we're avoiding is what happens when we're no longer ruminating on the past, projecting into the future. What happens? What happens? Who are you without that? What is the function of the brain without that? It's almost like we don't know because it's the default mode. It's the, your brain screensaver that simply just repeats over and over again. And we move into meditation we move into the spiritual practice of yoga. We're trying to break that loop and it is hard to break that loop. What is when your brain is no longer ruminating on the past, projecting into the future is the isness of this moment where what is simply is it's free from judgment and is equanimous. So you're simply aware within that space. There's wisdom within that space. There's a kind of knowingness, a sense of relief, a sense of what you could call relaxation, a sense of openness and a sense of connection. And so we're trying to get there, you know, and it requires good practice because however many years or lifetimes we have been working one particular way of thinking, then we need to back up and return to zero. Once we get to zero, then we need to turn around and go into a new direction. And it takes a lot of practice. So the support, the support system that we create here by coming together and sharing the space of practice, this allows us to support one another so that collectively we can create kind of a charge where we come to resonance with each other. Each of you and every spiritual practitioner has to walk the path alone. So that means nobody can put that foot in front of one another for you. You've got to walk the path. Nobody can do it for you, right? However, what is very, very beneficial is the support of community. So by coming together now and sharing this space now, you create a sense of community, a collective energy that inspires you and that makes practice more attainable, a little bit more easy. Because between all of us that are gathered here together, all of us, including myself, there will be moments that each of us will slip into a state of isness a state of being. And that helps us all experience it. And there'll be moments that myself included, the mind is going away. Mind is gone. But because there are some of us who are in a deep state, it's easier to come back. And this is what we call uh, the, uh, this is what's called off or referred to often as the holding space. When you hold space in a uh, community, this benefits all. And then we create kind of a collective vibration or frequency, which is really helpful to everyone involved. So thank you. Now I'm going to start taking some questions because of the 
Uh, if you don't mind to type your question. So Gail, I see you have your hand raised, but I, uh, I can't, uh, if I, I can't hear you because the microphone that I'm using plugs into the audio channel of the, um, device. So I'm not able to let you unmute yourself. So Gail, if you wouldn't mind typing your question, I think she did anyway. Oh, sorry. Hi, Gail. Oh, I see your question in the chat. Two questions. Number one, empty stomach versus full stomach on a longer meditation. Mm -hmm. Good question. Well, I would definitely recommend that you don't take a giant meal and then go for a longer meditation. And I think you know why. You eat a giant meal, then all of your blood and circulation goes down to digestion. And what happens to your brain? Oh, sleepy, sleepy, sleepy. You go into, you know, what's sometimes joked, joke, jokingly called the food coma, you know? So if you have a very, very full stomach and you try to meditate, you're very sleepy. You're going to be fighting the demon of sleep so difficulty. So I think that... What can be useful is to, if you're going to eat a full meal, to give yourself at least the time to digest. So at least like half an hour, one hour before you do a long sit, you want to have a light snack before you sit. It's not a problem, but you know, what you also don't want to do is sit and be overwhelmed with the sounds and feelings of digestion. Do you know what I mean? Even if you're by yourself, it can still be quite distracting. If all sorts of sounds are emanating from various orifices of your body, it can be slightly disruptive to the meditative state. So don't, you know, don't need to, don't get too full before you do a, a long sit. Okay. And then Gail's second question, is it normal to hold my breath subconsciously between breaths? Good question, Gail. As long as you are not holding your breath consciously, you may be slipping into a very deep meditative state, which is <clears throat> you have the space between your thoughts and then we have the space between the breaths. And more often, we associate the space between the breaths with pranayama, where we breathe in and we hold the breath. However, it is possible in meditation to experience the states, which is where you are neither breathing in, nor breathing out, nor holding your breath. So that could be what you're experiencing. And when that happens, it's wonderful, wonderful. Such a state of deep peace is there. However, very scary as well, you know? I've had this happen a couple of times, uh, you know, sometimes during meditation retreats where I've been sitting, 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 and then suddenly I realize, ooh, I'm neither breathing in nor breathing out. Hmm. And if I'm able to just experience that, it's wonderful. But as soon as the mind starts to go, oh no, have I died? I've crossed over. I'm neither breathing in nor breathing out. Is this the afterlife? How disappointing. So then, and then I think maybe I should return to the body. And then I take a breath. And then I come back. And then I've lost this state, which was once so subtle, so ethereal, so beautiful, because I was suddenly afraid that I have crossed over. It's kind of ridiculous. You know what? I'm going to meditate to cross over on the other side. You know, I think I would be aware more than that. But um, it's happened a couple of times. And I always end up with the same. It's such a wonderful state, the space between breaths. I'm neither breathing in nor breathing out nor holding the breath. And as soon as I become conscious of it, there's a moment where I can enjoy it. And then there's a moment of you better breathe or, you know, you might not make it back. Mm -hmm. So 
Maya has a question. Hi, Maya. Compared to my asana practice, meditation is so much more intangible. I feel lost. I don't know if I'm making progress. I lose faith and I start to wonder if it's worth it. Can you give me some guidance? So Maya, you're right on to what meditation is and why it's difficult. So in Ashtanga yoga, which is the style of yoga that I practice and mostly teach, uh, the, my teacher used to say that meditation is very, very difficult. He would say meditation for you, you know, why? You know, I think he was, you know, pretty much tapping into what you're feeling right there, Maya. And what he said was take asana, asana, asana many years, and it prepares the mind for meditation. So first of all, recognize that meditation is more intangible. It is harder in some ways than asana. I mean, think about the meatiness of asana practice. You know, you're doing chaturanga, something to do. Remember, I was just talking about something to do. Asana practice is something to do. I'm going here. I'm going there. I'm taking triangle pose. I'm doing trikonasana. Now I'm doing revolve triangle. Now I'm holding my leg up. Now I'm jumping back. Now I'm jumping through. Now I'm doing headstand. It's something to do. You're doing, doing, doing. But while you're doing, you're trying to cultivate the quality of non-doing, which is in itself a sort of riddle. You're trying to cultivate the quality of mindfulness. Now, meditation is very difficult because you don't have anything to do. There's nothing to do. You just sit there and focus on your breath. So the key is to understand that that intangibility and that feeling of lostness is itself the very foundation from which the meditative mind begins. And that's hard to understand. You close your eyes and it's like, I feel nothing. You close your eyes and you're just like, my mind's going bonkers. You close your eyes and it's just gone. It's intangible. It's gone. It's falling away. And then doubt starts to come in with a quick pace. Doubt starts to come in. I'm not doing it right. Something's wrong with me. Can't do it. I feel lost. I felt there too. I was there too. I thought when I first started doing a yoga practice, I thought I would never be able to meditate because when I closed my eyes, the cycles of what was going on inside of my mind were overwhelming and honestly quite scary but it's with practice. This is why we have what's called an anchor in meditation. So asana itself is an anchor, something to do, right? It's there, you know? And in your meditation practice, we use the breath. So breath in, breath out. So if you have a very hard time being aware of the breath in, the breath going out, and you just can't do it, can't focus on it, like no matter how much you try, mind can't do it. So I can't do it. Close your eyes. You feel the breath going in. And before the breath has gone in, you're already lost. Then you need to use the discursive quality of the mind to do a little bit kind of like disciplined training. So number one, you need to be nice to yourself. So you got to talk to yourself. Hey, my mind's going bonkers today. Hey mind, it's okay. Minds go bonkers sometimes. It's all right. Hey mind, I forgive you for going bonkers. It's okay. Now we're going to do a little intensive training, little mind of mind. Here we go. Then instead of just focusing on the breath, you're going to count your breaths and it really helps. So you can, you can count. I like to count down. I don't, it, it calms me. Some people don't like a countdown. They feel like they're going to blow up. Like it's like a NASA takeoff. So you really have to figure out which one is better for you. I like to uh, 10 in, 10 out, nine in, nine out. And I count down to one. If my mind doesn't come, I should do it again. 10 in, 10 out. And just do it. Continue. 10 in, 10 out. Just continue. If you don't like that, you can count. I recommend if you, if you want to count upwards, I would say don't go like more than 30 or you get a little, and it starts to get like too numeric. Just go back down to one, start again. Just go back down to one, start again. Just make sure you do in and out. One in, one out. Two in, two out. Three in, three out. It doesn't matter how deep it is, but that's going to help your mind focus. You can do that for a little while. And then I, I recommend do between three to five rounds of this and try to let the numbers go. Try to let the discursive awareness go. 
back to the breath, pure breath awareness. Mind goes crazy. Forgive your mind. Okay, mind, you're still going crazy. I'm going to do a little bit of discipline training. 10 in, 10 out. Nine in, nine out. I often need to be very disciplined with my mind when pain is present. And pain is present. You know, like if there's a, I get a, I often get a pain in my sitting bones when I do long sits. I don't know why my sitting bones, they're, I I didn't think they were especially bony, you know, but they, they, I get this pain in my sitting bone when I do a long sit. Sometimes the pain is, it's just, it's indescribable how intense that pain is. And I'm sure you all have your own indescribable various forms of suffering that arise. When that pain arises, my mind goes bonkers. It starts to go, you know, really, it's really disturbing, you know? The mind starts to think, am I going to be okay? Am I doing permanent damage? Are my sitting bones going to fall off after this? Am I bruising my sitting bones? Am I sitting so long? So I have actually had this thought, which is somewhat embarrassing. Am I sitting so long and so intensively on my sitting bones that I am detaching my hamstring muscle from them? Simply from sitting too long. Is my ham, is the pain that I'm feeling, my hamstring attachment slowly being severed from the weight of my body? I mean, it's not true. You can't do that. Like you can't sit so much so your hamstring attachment detaches. But my mind went there and I had to, okay, it's time to do 10 in, 10 out because I've obviously gotten bonkers. You know, now I'm visualizing my attachments of my muscles just detaching themselves. It's time to 10 in, 10 out and to get control of this mind. So then we do a little disciplined aspect of the mind, do it for, for, for a few cycles and then come back. And last thing, Maya, start with a lesser time. Start with five minutes. Five minutes, build up from there. This is a long sit. It can feel really overwhelming if you don't have a foundation in it. So if you're not really prepared for it, long sit can just feel like, you know, really, really difficult. Okay. So let's see if we've got a few other questions there. So Lisa has a question. Hi, Lisa. Oh, Lisa, good question. A lot of people have this question. Sometimes I see colors, even though my eyes are closed during the meditation. Is that normal? Not only is that normal, some people see colors, some people do not see colors. Some people see, some people see like a movie happening in front of their eyes. They close their eyes and then it's like Netflix is on. Oh, interesting. Whole movie from start to finish. You know, I've had that a couple of times. I'm very sensitive to visual, like visual stimulus. So if I've watched a t- like a TV series or something like that, that's gotten into my brain, close my eyes, I'll often see images of that. And when I, I was a big fan of Game of Thrones, the only problem is that I had dragons visiting me in my meditation for like eight years or however long that, that program was going on. I close my eyes. I'd be like, dragons, dragons, dragons. <laughs> you know, what can I do? So the key is to observe whatever's there. But here's the lesson with the objects, whether it's colors or sounds that are interesting or light that you see or even blissful feelings or other images. Do not get attached to it and do not desire it. Because now if you think, oh, colors, I see so many colors whenever I meditate, then one day you close your eyes and you don't see colors. You're going to be disappointed. Oh, where are my colors? I want to see the next, the new Pantone color. I want to see it before my eyes. I want to visualize it. And then, and then you start getting into a whole, like, I need to be visualizing colors and shapes and these sorts of things. And if they're there, they're there. You let them be there. Observe, but don't get attached to it. All right. And then don't try to generate it or create it because then that creates another form of attachment and the mind gets distracted and that and it's a whole other, it's a whole other cycle. It begins to be something else that you need to do. 
you know, and you're looking for something, I close my eyes. Now I'm waiting for my, you know, TV series to start. And it's not like that. Sometimes you'll see, sometimes, you you know, there may be colors. Sometimes there won't be any colors. Sometimes there'll be objects that appear in your field. Sometimes there'll be no objects. Sometimes it'll be very boring there in the world of meditation. Do not think that your meditation is failing you. If it's extremely boring, you will make the most progress in the spiritual journey of your, 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 you know, your, your meditation, your yoga practice on days when it's boring, 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 boring. You are working with that spaciousness between. And that's so important in the spiritual journey of awakening. Okay, let's take a few more questions. We have a question from Luna. Hi, Luna. So Luna asks, is it okay that I have my kids around that I'm not in a silent environment when I observe my breathing and practice meditation? Well, Luna, I don't think that you have another option to remove your kids. So I think that you shall keep your kids. And just the, the thing that we say is that whatever's in the environment begins to be integrated into the quality and texture of the meditation. So then if your kids are around, wonderful. What a great model that you're meditating and they're there and they're watching you. You know, I, I wish when I was younger, I'd see my parents meditating. What a cool just imprint to make in the, in the brain of that, that young being. Oh, adults meditate. How cool. Look, here's my mom before she meditates. Look, here's my mom after she meditates. Awesome. And then maybe, the, who knows, maybe they start sitting with you. You never know. Maybe not now, maybe in some years, depends on how young the children are. So I think it's totally fine. Whatever sounds are there. Obviously, it's a little easier to remain focused when there are less sounds. So we might, you might need to make peace with the distraction of whatever's there. So we just don't want to generate aversion towards any distracting sounds in the environment. And that not only children... But it can also be dogs and neighbors and gardeners and construction workers and also the sounds of various home appliances, you know, home appliances. They do wonderful things. Dishwasher. Great thing. Meditate. Have your dishwasher on. If you can choose not to, it would be better not to meditate and have a fan on. If you can choose, it would be better not to meditate and have, you know, your Either the lawn man or lawn person come and start doing that blowing sound. Do you know what I'm talking about? That blower. It's like the sound of suburbia. It's really wonderful. I, you know, I grew, I grew up in suburban Miami and this is the sound of my childhood. And I was like, what do you, what's it, what even is, what's that doing? Oh, we're blowing leaves around. Wonderful. That's very useful. So then, you know, this blowing sounds, any of these things, any sound in the environment, this can really start to trigger a very strong negative reaction. We want to watch that and curb that as much as possible. So what's very, very useful is whenever there's a distracting sound that comes up that you start to generate negativity towards, exactly when that arises, see if you can think of an opposite thought instead. So instead of hating the origination of that sound, see if you can send a little love over there. So this is a good, good, wonderful thing to do for kids. You know, if you have children, send them love. They're screaming, send them love. You know, also the lawn people, they're making that sound that's out there and you immediately think, oh, I wish this person would just stop. Now, just think for a moment, whatever irritation you hear in your little, I need to meditate this person, that's their livelihood. They hear that nine to five, probably eight to eight to seven. They probably work, you know, super long hours. That that's the sound of their life. Oh, poor being. 
Oh, poor being. May you experience some peace in your life. Oh, poor lawn person who lives in the sound. May you experience silence at some moment. It's so wonderful in that moment. You can do little meta, like little parenthetical meta. Oh, wonderful. Even the sound of dishwasher. You hate the sound of dishwasher. Oh, I'm so first. Oh, I hate the dishwasher. Dishwasher, be quiet. Then think for a moment. I'm so grateful to the dishwasher. I don't have to do dishes. Wonderful invention, dishwasher. Go ahead and run. No problem. Wonderful sound, dishwasher. Mm. If you have ever had broken dishwasher and then the dishwasher is running, oh, wonderful sound. So wonderful, this dishwashing sound. So it's very useful. Anything that's annoying to you, if you can remain calm enough to do a little parenthetical meta, and this is what the spiritual teacher Byron Katie says, turn that thought around. And if you can do that during your meditation practice, it's really wonderful and powerful. But if not, as I mentioned to Maya, go back to 10 in, 10 out. And just observe how irritated you are. And that too is itself good work towards liberation. Hard work, but good work towards liberation. All right, I see a few more questions. So let's go through a few more questions. Laura has a question. Hi, Laura. What do you sit on? I tend to sit on a rolled up yoga mat, but for my longer sessions, my legs go numb. Would a yoga cushion be more suitable? Definitely a rolled up yoga mat for a longer sit is not comfortable. Yeah, I can recommend if you don't have a meditation cushion at home, a dedicated meditation cushion, then go get the cushion from your sofa and sit on that. That's very cozy. So you can sit on that. Something that's kind of soft in the beginning. Second thing is get, you can also get like a pillow, take your yoga mat and unroll the yoga mat and take like two blankets and put two blankets down, then take a small pillow and just elevate only your hips on that small pillow to give a little space between your hips and your knees and your feet. And that should help the feeling of your legs falling asleep. That being said, everybody's legs fall asleep. I sit every day for an hour, sometimes more than an hour. And I almost always know that the hour is up because my feet at the end, I'm like, Oh, the feet, they feel like stones must be almost done with the hour now. So it's almost unavoidable. Okay. But definitely get off the rolled up yoga mat. Okay. Also next question from, from one student that says, can we change a position while meditating or the purpose is not to change, but to try to embrace the discomfort and the pain? Very good question. Thank you for asking that. So you should try as much as possible, as much as possible. Don't change your posture. Okay. Don't change your posture. If you feel itching, try not to itch. If you feel I need to move, try not to move within reason. If it gets too much and you're just drowning in pain, make one movement to a different change of posture once and try to see if that's okay. If you sit for five minutes only, don't change your position. It's a five minutes. You just suffer for five minutes. You do 30 minutes sit like we're doing now, then you can give yourself, okay, I get one change of posture and you save it up. Do you know what I mean? Like put in your bank account. I'm going to save this for a rainy day. I've got this one. I can change my posture once. Then when the discomfort arises, you want to think about, Hmm, do I want to use this or do I want to keep this in my bank account? And then you can just make a little deal with yourself. Okay. I, I, it's too bad. Now my feet are falling asleep. My sitting bones on fire. My knee feels is going to explode. My, my, uh, I feel I'm shaking from the pain. I can't breathe. I feel heat over my, okay, I'm going to move. But then you have to ask yourself, what position am I going to move to? Because nothing is going to feel good at that moment. So you really got to think, okay, if I move, what am I going to move to? I need to make a conscious choice. Oh, I've got this in the bank account. This is one I can move to this pose. 
So you, you get to know yourself. You know, I, I have, I have a position I can move to. I sit in a cross-legged position. And if I need to move because it's too intense, I know I can't move to another cross-legged position. So sometimes I can change from cross-legged position to virasana, like hero's pose. Sometimes I can change to kind of like a squat position with my hips elevated on a cushion. And then I, that can be beneficial for a little bit. If it's, if you're doing a lot of more than half an hour, Sometimes you need to stand up for a moment and then sit down again. That's okay. But I really feel we have to be slightly disciplined. Otherwise, the meditation begins to be 30 minutes of trying to find a good position. Oh, let me put my right foot on top. Oh, I don't like that. Let me put my left foot on top. Oh, also don't like that. Oh, let me put my hands together in my lap. Oh, I don't like that. Let me put my hands on my knees. Oh, I don't like that. Let's go back to the lap. Oh, let me do virasana. Oh, I don't like that. Let me do leg behind the head. Oh, definitely. Bad idea. You know, and then, so we, you know, we'll just do that for half an hour. So try to, try to give yourself no more than one change of posture per meditation, especially when you do half an hour. If that's too much, then do two, you know, find something that's worked for you, but, but set a number so that it has some, some, some meaning and purpose rather than just chasing comfort. Cause if your meditation begins to be chasing comfort, then it, then it won't serve its purpose. Okay. It also, we don't want it to just be brutal torture. So we want to find that kind of mix in between. All right, let's do one more question for today. Maybe one or two, let's see. Okay, Carla has a question. Hi, Carla. Is it better to keep the eyes open or closed, which is more helpful to keep focused on the breath? Well, definitely the eyes closed is more helpful to keep the inner focus. If the eyes are open, you can look around the room. So we look around. Oh, is the Zoom working? Ooh, it's working. Ooh, look, she's sitting like this. Ooh, look over there. Ooh, that's a nice room. I wish I had a room like that. And then we begin to be, you know, turn into going nowhere. I just, some of the meditation videos I'm posting on, I've been sharing recently, you know, got the, the 30 days of mindfulness challenge that's happening now. And, you know, concurrently here in January, many people are starting to meditation. You know, I feel making these videos and then I'm thinking, I hope no one's watching them because the first thing I say is come to a comfortable seated position and close the eyes. But I have a strong suspicion people are watching the videos. You know, people, oh, so beautiful. I saw this bird doing this. I saw this cloud doing that. I'm like, well, how did you see that? I told you to close your eyes, you know? Oh, this video is so beautiful. Are you meditating? No, oh, I'm watching the videography, you know? So uh, my friend, I have a friend who's making the videos and I said, please, don't make them too beautiful because if you're always going to meditate, oh, look, oh, it's a drone shot. Wow. Keep very simple. Otherwise, you know, it's not a movie. It's not a movie about meditation. I actually want you to meditate. You know, maybe audio is better and you can't watch anything. So you definitely try to close your eyes with one exception. If you're falling asleep, open your eyes for a moment. Like, oh, you know that thing where you're like, oh, like you're high school and you fell asleep in biology class. Oh, I'm awake. Yep. I'm right here. Ooh, do one of those. Wake yourself up close the eyes again. Okay. All right. Last question. Angelina asked a question. Hi, Angelina. Angelina's question is, I was wondering if we should activate the bandhas during meditation. Good question. So shall we activate bandhas? First of all, if you know what bandhas are, then we want it's activation of your pelvic floor. And we do want to keep a little activation of the pelvic floor, just enough to support a posturally straight spine, but not so much so you're tightening and squeezing. And that's important because your meditation posture should be relaxed to a point. 
If you're too relaxed and you start to slouch over, then you got to straighten up the spine. So we want enough pelvic floor activation to posturally support the spine. And at, at some point, that level of pelvic floor activation is very small. It's not, it's, not, it's not as much as you would do in downward dog. It's not what you would do in a forward bend. It's not what you would do in Padmasana at the end of your practice. You know, Padmasana, we're trying to breathe. We're doing deep breathing. It's just enough so you don't slouch. It's just enough to support the natural lumbar curve. It's just enough so the belly is not hanging out. As soon as the belly hangs out, the shoulders hunch over and then the body's going down. So we want, we want to think about a, you know, a straight spine, not rigidly straight. And one of the reasons for this is that the subtle flow of energy is best achieved in a seated position with a posturally straight spine. And that's something that you'll experience over and over or over many years of practice. But it's one that we need, it's a position that we do need to practice. So that's, uh, we've gone a little over time for today. So sorry about that. But uh, thanks everyone for joining. I really appreciate it. I really enjoy the group energy of these longer sits. So thank you so much for creating that space. And I'll see you again Wednesday for our yoga drills class if you're coming for that. And next Sunday for the meditation if you're coming for that, both at one o'clock. All right, everyone. Lots of love. Thanks so much for joining. Bye. Hey there, it's Kino here. I just wanted to thank you for tuning in to my podcast. Your support and your time and your attention really mean a lot to me. If you're enjoying this podcast series, you can find the full-length videos on my online channel, OMSTARS. And that's at www.omstars.com. You can redeem a 14-day free trial and get access to our full library of over 3,000 classes and also practice yoga with me online. I'd also love to see you in class sometime. So you can find my full live in-person teaching schedule on my website, which is kinoyoga.com. And if you haven't checked out my books, I'd absolutely be honored if you'd check those out. You can find those available at any online bookseller. The Yoga Inspiration Podcast is designed to keep you inspired to get on the mat. And I hope you're leaving each episode with a little glimmer and spark of the spirit, which is the true heart of the yoga method. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. May you be happy. May you be peaceful. May you be filled with love. Namaste.